Please be seated. So I woke up this morning, and um, on my phone, I was like, man, somebody was texting me a lot during the night, which is a strange thing. Um, but it was AccuWeather, right? <laughs> ah! Like flashing all these alerts on my phone. Tornado, 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 you know? I was really glad I slept through that because tornadoes make me mondo nervous. What a, I don't know about y'all. Um, and let me tell you a little story about a storm. Um, maybe this is why tornadoes make me nervous. Do y'all remember the duck and cover drills? in school, where they like get you out in the hallway and they're like, if there's a tornado and things start falling, use your hands to shield your neck. I'm like, yeah, that's going to work, right? <laughs> so we were in San Angelo and they actually have uh, sirens, tornado sirens that go off. So you don't need to rely on a text message. The siren goes off and that means there is a tornado and you need to seek shelter. And I have never lived a place like that before where the weather would, like, kill you, you know? I mean, I just haven't. I've lived in San Antonio. If it's flooding, you just don't drive into the flooding part, right? But it's not going to come the finger of God and just knock you off the face of the earth. And so here we are, and that's the way it feels to me. So here we are, a young couple. We've got Anna, a new baby. The, the siren goes off, and we, we check the weather, whatever, and it says there is a tornado barreling towards San Angelo. And so we grab Anna, and we put her in the hallway, and we've, we've got, like, you know— stuff from the couch and we're just there and I, I still remember um, how the wind got stronger and our door was bolted, our back door, um, which we were in a hallway but we were seeing the back door and as the tornado came close to our house, the back door was going ba-bam, 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 like against the bolt. It was shaking that much and all the windows were rattling and I was just terrified and I remember in that moment thinking, here's my baby, right? Here's my husband, and if this tornado comes, I don't know what we'll do. And Kevin just took my hand, and he's like, it's going to be okay. And I was like, how? He's like, it's just going to be okay. Let me tell you about another storm story. Because it's not always the literal storms. And I think, I mean, as, as the storms pass over our house now, and a lot of times we think, oh, we're, we're fine, right? Because we're in the house, and the thunder rolls, and so it's kind of fun. Um, but storms in themselves, especially to people in Jesus' day, were not fun. They were not living in the kind of structures we're living in. Um, it's like that, that tornado coming, passing so close to our house, and thinking, there's nothing between me and this. You know, this could really take me out. So here's a story from the book of Ruth. This is Ruth chapter 1. The book of Ruth is right after the book of Judges, if you have your Bible and you want to find it. It's kind of a short book. Um, but it would be worth it to keep your finger here. So Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpha and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Milan and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone with her two, without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab and return to Naomi's homeland. When her two daughters-in-law, with her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi saw, said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes. 
and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So keep your finger there. Because what we're going to talk about today in our last sermon on relationships is what to do when the storms come. What you can do, not when there's something wrong within the relationship, although certainly this can hold true there, but when something is attacking from the outside, when there's something that you can't control, that you're just going to either have to face or find some shelter from what to do when that happens. And as y'all know, I've been talking to many of you, the people sitting around you, about what made your relationship last. I've talked to couples who've been married more than 30 years. I've talked to almost 20 of them. And they've shared with me their stories. And I wanted to share you one story about a storm. And the interesting thing about this couple is, um, I know right now, if you saw them in church, they've been married 36 years, um, the story that I'm going to tell you would surprise you. Because you would think that they would have never struggled. They go on nice trips together. Um, they travel well. They have a loving family. And yet when I asked them, you know, what was married life like when you were first married, this is the story they said. They said that it started out really great. They met when she was in college and he was in the Army. Okay, and she knew he was walking through her college campus, and I think it's because he knew that's where the pretty girls were, right? And, the, and he, so he saw her, and she saw him, and she thought, that is the guy for me. And he said, I didn't have that immediate response. It took me a little longer, like a month. I was like, okay, to figure out that they wanted to get married. And so they did get married, um, early, early 20s. And the truth of it is what they saw in each other that day on that college campus and the dreams that they began to build, they're right, because they're still together 36 years later. Um, but they said one of their dreams when they were young that they loved is that both of them wanted a huge family. They just wanted to have like five to seven kids. Like, can you imagine? five to seven kids. That's what they wanted. And so they started um, their family. Things were going well. They, they had two children. They were pregnant with a third. They were rather far along, and the wife lost the baby. And on top of the grief of that, and I know some of you have been through that, um, they found out she couldn't have any more. No more babies. And so they had two children. They were grateful for them, but that dream was dying. And if that wasn't enough, um, the economy hit a bad point at that time. And the husband who had had a good job and they had a house that matched the job and all that kind of stuff lost his job, just terminated. And he couldn't find work. And so he's looking everywhere for work. He's got these two little kids at home, his wife, they're going through this grief, and he can't find anything, nothing. And he said it got so bad that the phone got shut off one day. And he said, I had to hear the story of my wife walking down to the convenience store to make a call on a payphone to her mom to say, Mom, don't worry about us, but the phone just got shut off, so if we're going to talk, we're going to talk right here. And he said, and I heard from my wife that my little son stood like this in front of the payphone to guard his mom while she made that call little tiny boy guarding like this. And I asked them, I mean, they, he, they said, we almost lost our house. The lights were almost shut off. And I look at them now, and you wouldn't know that. And so I said, but how did you face that? How did you get through? 
because in that situation, the stress is so high, the pain of lo- losing a child, losing a job, all these failures, they're dogpiling this couple. And you all know that in that moment, you can just feel like this is your fault. If you would just be better, if you would just be better, if something wouldn't happen, what did you, what did you do, I said. And they said two things. They said we had unconditional support for each other. No matter if it was good or if it was bad or if I couldn't find work, my wife had unconditional support for me, and I gave that to her. And then they said, you can make it through any storm if you face it together, no matter how big. Now, what's amazing to me is I could have picked any one of the couples in our church and told you that story, any story. Everybody has faced struggles. In fact, the commonality between these vastly different couples meeting at vastly different times in different ways with different goals and dreams, not everybody wanted seven kids, but everybody made it to be sitting here today. So they have something to say to us. Everybody spoke about their faith in God as being critical, and everybody told me a storm story. Everybody. Some of those, I just wanted to share them with you so you don't think I'm making it up. Um, I, I wrote them down, and I wrote it down under the title as I'm going through these, Everyone Struggles. This is, these are the outside storms that railed against these couples. One couple talked about, actually it was two, which amazed me, excessive moving. Um, now, a lot of us, it's hard to move, right? It's really disruptive. You, especially if you have to change your town. You lose your, all of your stability. You lose your friends, your church. Um, you don't know where things are anymore. You don't know doctors, all this kind of stuff. These couples talked about moving 10 to 20 times in the first five to 10 years of marriage, sometimes overseas. Other couples talked about how because of what the job market was, someone would have to work out of state or someone would have to travel for long periods of times and they were trying to hold their relationship together while they were in totally different places. And, and, you know, maybe there's kids involved too. Um, Other people talked about the life-threatening illnesses that one spouse or the other is facing. One couple told me, um, one woman said, my husband has never liked needles. And then I became diabetic. And he was the only one who went to the spouse training on how to give shots. And he gives me my shots. Um, Two couples at least told me about a miscarriage. Several couldn't get pregnant. They went through adoptions. One family in our church um, adopted a little baby, welcomed that child into their home, only to have the child taken away about a year later and put back in the abusive family from where it came. Um, Many, many, many couples went through job stress, were laid off, were terminated. Um, They told me about being sued, about lawsuits filed against them, about having homes that were about to be foreclosed on, about business failures and just the utter grief that came with that. Um, They talked about infidelity and how they got through it. They talked about the storms of life. And what they told me was, we went through that and we did it together. So there's a value on when the storm comes, sticking. Now, that's why I read you the story of Ruth, because it's not always about a marriage, although certainly you need to stick in a marriage, right? 
that you're saying when you stand up here at the altar, I always love being up here with couples and because it just seems so audacious to be like out of seven billion people in the world, it's you, right? But that's what you're saying. Out of seven billion, I pick you and I continue to pick you. Not just when we're young and everything's great and all the dreams are happening, but when the tornado comes, I'm not leaving you. And that's what this, what the story of Ruth is about. It actually begins as the story of Naomi, who is just beaten apart by the storms of life. Naomi has to leave her home. Um, she can't feed her family, so her husband takes them to this foreign land. They learn a new language. Um, they have to leave everything they know. They start a new life, and her husband dies. She loses her life made in that. She has her two sons. This was a time when the men in the society provided protection, they provided food, they were, they were the spokespeople for the women in this day and age. And so to lose your husband meant, okay, good thing she had sons, because now those sons will speak for her. So the sons um, step up. They get married, they have these families. Imagine, um, I don't know if Ruth was married to Malin or Killian, it doesn't say, but imagine she has this young husband, he's got her, she, we know she's a faithful, wonderful, beautiful woman, right? So imagine how they talked about the darkness that he had come through, the transition, um, the making the new home, losing his father, and imagine those two saying, you know what, brighter days are ahead. We're going to start a family, and life will be different, and, you know, we're going to have kids all around us, and it's going to be better. But it wasn't meant to be. This life just pummels this family, and for whatever reason, both of these sons die. We don't know if it's illness or if they, it was a tragic accident or what, but here we have these three widows totally alone in the world now. Not only have they lost the men that they love, but they are now, um, they could starve to death. They could be abused. They could be taken advantage of. There is no one to stand for them. And so in the midst of this, Naomi says, you know what? The one thing that I have left is home. I'll go home. And at least I'll know people there. And if I'm starving, I'm sure she was thinking, maybe they'll give me some food in this storm. And so they're on the road back to Bethlehem, which for her is home and for Orpha and Ruth is foreign, so they're about to lose their home, and we see something of Naomi's character, right? Because Naomi thinks of these two, of her daughters-in-law, and says, you know what? This doesn't have to be, this is my fate, but this doesn't have to be theirs, and so she tells them, go home. Go back. Marry again. Let the dreams awaken within you again. You don't have to follow me down this dark road, because ahead of me is nothing. And they cry, and they tell her no, and she says yes, and Orpha leaves. And that was not a cowardly thing for Orpha to do. She just went home. She'd been through the storm, and she went home. And standing on that road, the reason I love this story is standing on that road, Ruth makes a different choice. She says, stop asking me to leave. Don't ask me to leave or turn back. I'm not going this is in verse 16. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And this is a young woman who has seen death, 
who's experienced it, whose heart is raw, and she says, you know what? You know what we have in this world? We have each other. And the only thing that will stop me from being faithful to you is if I die. Until then, you can count on me. That's the choice that she makes. Were they looking at sunny fields in Bethlehem? No. Ruth was going to have to try to provide, not just for herself, but for her mother-in-law, which means she's going to have to go dangerously into these fields where people might abuse her, they might take advantage of her, and try to clean up the little scripts and scraps of food that are left behind and get enough food each day, each week, to keep them alive. That's the choice she's making. She's not skipping off into the sunset. She's gritting her teeth and saying, I'm sticking. I will stay. And that's the choice that we're all faced with. It, it's not the, I mean, thank God we have great houses and there aren't that many tornadoes around here, but there are some nasty storms in life. Really nasty. And we look pretty miserable when we're sopping wet and when the hail is coming and we don't know what to do. And that person standing next to you soaking wet, I know the temptation is to say, look, I'm done, I'm going to take care of myself. And what God would invite us to think of is to remember Ruth, to remember Jesus, who we'll talk about in just a second, to remember those examples who have stuck by us when the storms have come and said, you know what, you might lose everything, but this storm can't take me away from you. You won't lose me. This is what happens to Ruth. Um, it's an amazing story. It's in the Bible because of that choice on the road. And so she goes and gleans in these fields. She's trying to get enough food. And this man named Boaz sees her. And he's an upright man. And he falls in love with her because of her character that he sees in taking care of Naomi. And she falls in love with him. And they get married um, quite unexpectedly. And they have a child um, that Naomi's changed her name to Bitter. She changed her name to Mara, and she becomes Naomi again when she holds her little grandchild. So it's a story of redemption, not just for Ruth, but for Naomi, because she had a friend, a daughter-in-law, who stuck by her. And the interesting thing is if you go to Ruth chapter 4, verse 17, the neighbor women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. It's almost like the community names him that. <laughs> like, you forget it. We're naming because we're so excited for what has happened. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. What do you know? The woman who made, the foreigner, who made that choice on the road to stick by her mother-in-law becomes part of the line of David and of Christ. And her great, 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 great grandchild, Jesus, would give us an example in this, right? Paul talks about this when he says, he says, follow the example, imitate God in everything you do. You are his children. You are his children. So live like your father, right? Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us. And how do we know that? He says he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. You see, it's when the storms come, that's when you know if you love someone. It's not that feeling. Love is, love is a feeling, but it's so much more. Love is the choice you make on the road. It's the choice you make with the tornado. It's the choice when the person is sopping wet and you think they might be a little bit to blame for this. That you say, even so, 
I am not leaving you. The light of the world, right? Who faced down a cross, why? Because he loves you. So if you feel like, man, I've never been loved like that. No one has ever stood by me in the darkness and walked with me and said, you know what, we're going to do this together. I want to tell you that you are loved like that. Jesus loves you like that. He will never leave you. And then what we are asked to do is, if we are loved like that, if we have a God who would die for us, then when we have the chance, we stick. And we walk through the storm. And we bring light into the world that is dark. So let me close with this story. This is a story of, <clears throat> y'all may have heard this. Robert Louis Stevenson, the writer, when he was a little kid, um, he was watching the lamplighters. Back in the old days, the lamplighters would go, they'd put up a ladder, and they would climb up the, the ladder and light the lamp. And then they'd pull it down, and they'd put it up on the next lamppost, they'd climb it up and light the lamp. And this little boy, Robert Louis Stevenson, his little boy was just fascinated watching them. And his dad came up and he said, what are you doing looking out the window? And Robert Louis Stevenson said, Daddy, I'm watching a man punch holes in the darkness. The light of the world, our Savior, Jesus Christ, right? Gave his life for us. Punched a giant hole in the darkness. And what does he call us to do? Be my children, the light of the world. Punch holes in the darkness. Do it by the choices you make on the road when you're terrified and you don't know how it'll work out. Choose to stick by each other. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you stick by us, that you promise to walk with us through the darkest valleys that we ever have to face that you calm the storms with your words and you certainly give us the comfort when we, when we are terrified um, to know that even then you are in control. Thank you for punching holes in the darkness of our life. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be like you call us to be a light to the world. And you know we do that in so many ways, God. But help us to make choices when we face hard times that give that hope to other people too. Help us to be a way that you punch holes in the darkness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As your response today, I'd like um, y'all to stand. And we're going to sing this closing song. And if you'd like to join with this church and have some people who have your back, then come up and find me as we sing our closing song. May you be blessed not only as you walk through the sunny valleys, which are lovely, but as you walk through the storms, knowing that God is by your side and that with God you can punch some holes in the darkness. Amen.